Hello, welcome to the Fuck It Diet podcast. I am your host, Caroline Dooner. I am your tired, sad, listless host, filled with ennui, here welcoming you to another episode during, I guess, I guess, is it, it's not really quarantine anymore. I mean, am I allowed to call this quarantine? This isn't quarantine. It's just the never-ending pandemic where no one knows exactly what they're supposed to be doing and no one knows how long they're supposed to be doing it. Welcome. Molly, please don't bark. I swear to God, I'm at the end of my rope. I can hear she's going out the slider to the people walking from the beach. Please, I beg of you. No. I'm at the end of my row. Molly, please. Do you know that I'm recording a podcast episode? And that I'm on the verge of tears at every moment of every day? Molly, stop it. Stop. You're going to go in the laundry room. Do you want to go in the laundry room? I don't think so. I don't think you want to go in the laundry room. (sighs) Please stop. I don't know. I think she's barking at towels. I swear to God. Okay. Well, I just got up and walked around because guess what? I forgot my microphone. I went up from the shore. I was banished from the shore because my my mom invited her cousin down to the downstairs where I'm staying. And then when I came back, I forgot my microphone. So I'm recording it on my phone with my headphones, but I'm also going to be playing a conversation I had in a couple minutes with Victoria Wellsby. She's Fierce Fatty on Instagram. She is an author of the book Fierce Fatty. She is a TEDx speaker. She's a podcaster. And we're going to talk about her personal journey through food freedom and body liberation. And it's a great conversation. So please listen to it. I think you'll find it helpful, inspiring, interesting. You know, I don't even know why I'm saying that. If you, if you were going to turn it off. I don't think me saying that would help, would it? No, it wouldn't. Okay. So, (laughs) okay. I'm going to read a listener story. So if you're new to this podcast, I love to get stories from people who listen, you, who have been doing the fuck it diet for, like, I, I like to ask for at least a year because when you've been doing it for that long, you can really speak to the phases that you go through and speak for, sort of from the, from the other side or at least from another side. Um, so I think that that is really helpful for other people who are in the beginning of the journey to hear. So if you have your own story that you think would be helpful to the listeners, please send it to podcast at carolineduner.com. Okay, I'm going to read this one listener story and then we're going to get into the conversation I had with Victoria. Okay. Hi, Caroline. I'm not great at intro, so I'll just jump right in. I found your book at a time when I was just starting to learn that diets don't work, but I was extremely frustrated because I still hated my body. I felt totally powerless knowing that there was nothing I could really do to change my weight long-term. When I started reading your book, it was just epiphany after epiphany for me. Listening to my body has become easier and easier. I truly have become one of those people who forgets about the sweets and snacks in the pantry because I'm just not obsessed with them anymore. Also, oh, sorry. I 
I also don't beat myself up over overeating anymore because there are so many reasons that it happens and all of them are just a part of being a human and nothing to be ashamed of. I don't know if you have sisters. I do have one sister and she's nine years younger than me. I don't know if you have, if you have sisters, but I have three and being around them can be a test to my recovery. They are all still pretty deep in diet culture and hold a lot of anti-fat beliefs and not to mention they all look like thinner, more toned versions of myself. It can be depressing to be around this what if version of my body, but then they start talking about their diet and exercise habits. They can't enjoy, wait, oh yeah, sorry, I'm doing a terrible job reading. It's because the words are too tiny and maybe I need glasses, I don't know, it's hard to say, okay. Um, I made them bigger, but now I don't know where I was. They can't enjoy get-togethers because of the possi possibility of rich foods being there. They can't go a single day without rigorous exercise, and yet there's still a constant desire to be smaller. Even after all that they, all that they suffer to maintain their smaller bodies, they still hate the way that they look. I think back to all the times I cried myself to sleep over how ugly I felt. All the mornings, I just ate a piece of multigrain toast, a fried egg, and black coffee. All the times, I felt like a failure because I couldn't fit into the size I felt I should be able to fit into. I know now that while it would be great to enjoy the degree of thin privilege that they enjoy, it simply isn't worth it to me. I've been a size 8 and felt hideous and ashamed. Now, at a size 16, I've honestly never felt better about my body. As I surround myself with positive images of women with bodies like mine, I'm realizing that weight was never the root of my poor self-esteem. I know that my sisters and my mother probably feel bad for me because I live in a larger body than they do, but I would never trade my food freedom for a smaller body. I could just go on and on about this all day, and I do with my husband who is on this journey with me, but I don't want to make this email too long. Thank you for all that you do and for all that you've taught me and for feeling like an old friend to me, even though we've never met. Oh my God, every time I read these sweet, <laughs> sweet emails, I, I, oh, I usually lose it at some point. Okay. Um, and for all that you've taught me and for feeling like an old friend to me, even though we've never met. Also, I feel your pain, reheat anxiety and not being able to walk my dog anymore. Quarantine has gotten significantly harder since I've lost that very grounding routine. Here's hoping that ball will come soon. All the best, Elise. And the two little symbols that make a heart, you know, that like um, less than sign, basically, you know, like little Pac-Man mouth and the three. I don't know why I spent all that time explaining that little sign, but it's a heart. <sighs> all right. Now, I'm going to play my conversation with Victoria Wellsby, and I'll talk to you at the end. So where did it all begin? Can I hear about your relationship to your body when you were younger? Yeah, so um, when I was younger, I, from the first time I realized that I had a body, um, the thoughts about my body was that it wasn't good. And I had the perception that I was fat. Now, looking back, I don't, at the age of like five or six, I don't think that I was fat, mm. um, but I knew that my body was too big. 
um, for whatever reason, that belief. And I remember being the age of about five and being at school. And at the time in the 80s or 90s, yeah, 80s, um, it would have, uh, it was cool to do the crop top thing where you roll up your shirt and do a little bow. Mm -hmm. And all of the other little girls were doing it. And I just knew that I shouldn't because it was inappropriate for someone with my body to do it. And I'm just like, looking back, I'm like, wear that crop top, Victoria. I mean, yeah. And that's so early. Like that's so early to have soaked. I mean, but you're, you're not alone. I've heard that over and over again, but it is amazing that our tiny little brains soak that in probably without being explicitly told. We just I know. pick yeah. it up, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, and then from there, uh, growing up in, um, so my mom, my mom's very, um, she's, she's, she's little, she's a, a little person, like a, you know, five foot two and just very petite. Mm -hmm. And the way that she would talk about her body was that she needed to stop eating food and she needed to be smaller. And I would mm. look at my body as it was growing. And, um, I'm, I'm quite tall. I'm five, seven and, and I'm, I am fat now. And so as my body grew bigger than hers, I was like, well, if she thinks that she is too big, then I right. am a monster and right. I am, really really out of control and um alongside that uh we we were very very poor so we lived in poverty um and we didn't often have the food that we wanted in the house right. and so we had this diet culture message um from society and mm -hmm. also my mum um saying you know let's not eat eat that and let's not eat this and then when we did have food it was don't eat the food because we need to make it last and so yeah. it was uh, was I ever obsessed with food <laughs> because, oh my God. I mean that's a double whammy that's that's both things right there it's like yeah. food insecurity from thinking that your body is wrong and real food insecurity from food insecurity you know yeah yeah yeah, oh. yeah. so so complicated and so when on Sunday when we went to um the shop if, if British people are listening, it's called Quick Save. We're like, which is like the cheapest shop ever. Um, but it'd be like the biggest joy. We'd go to Quick Save, we'd get some food. And um, and it was really just like feverish joy that there were there was new food that we could have, but also shame and but also receiving love through food. And so my mum would also show affection with food too. So it was so bloody confusing that right. um <laughs> really? I just thought I was a monster right. uh, mm -hmm. and so that developed into undiagnosed binge eating disorder because why wouldn't it obviously right. Right. um and another sibling of my mine also had an eating disorder but I didn't know that what I was doing was something you know wasn't my fault i just thought right that i was so out of control that i was eating my family out of house and home oh, but really that oh my I god was so restricted you know yeah i can only imagine like oh my god i can't control myself and we don't have enough food what am i doing i'm such a bad person Mm -hmm. Like that's, that is heart, that is truly heartbreaking. Mm, yeah. 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 And then when it got to a point where we didn't have enough food in the house, I would then go to eating things which weren't necessarily appropriate. Um, you know, like, uh, uncooked pasta, things like that, mm. uh, or a dry Weetabix. Um, mm. and, and that just even reinforced even more that I was so 
out of control that I had to eat things which weren't suitable because you know as a I was a child I didn't know that you should cook the pasta right um, but, right, right um yeah so that was fun and obviously led to um, disordered eating patterns and I eventually did become um I did end up uh, becoming fat as I don't know when I became fat like I don't know age 10 or whatever anyway it doesn't matter but um by the time I was in my teens I was just super shy like when I tell people who I you know how I used to you know act in the world they're like really you because you were not shy but I was super shy super insecure and at the age of 17 I uh, became homeless so my mum moved away to to Ireland and I was like, I'm fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's good. But really, I was mm. um, a child and right. didn't, I didn't realize that you had to be 18 to rent a place in the UK. Oh, and I was at school full time and I was a, a cleaner after work um, at school. And so I, um, yeah, I became homeless and I ended up living in a homeless um, shelter for young people. And at this same, like at this time, I didn't think that that was a big deal. I mm. was kind of like, my self-esteem was so low that I just thought, well, someone like me, you know, what do you expect? I mean, I am disgusting. I am, mm. you know, out of control. So being homeless, eh, not that big a deal. Right. Now, wow. as an, now as an <laughs> adult, I'm um, <laughs> big deal. Like, I know one of the basic necessities in life to have, you know, a safe place to live. Um, and then I met this super creepy 30 year old guy. So I was 17, 30 year old guy in the club. Um, I'd go to like clubs where all the children would hang out and stuff. And right. um, he was like, I'll look after you. He turned out to be an, an abusive alcoholic. Oh God. And so I went from a, uh, bad situation to a worse situation and now um, because of my terrible low self-esteem around my body uh, I thought I am so lucky that anyone wants to date me anyone any human right. and so of course if he's going to abuse me well what do you expect when you look like me um, and one of the ways that he abused me was that he controlled what I ate mm. and at the time, I was so thankful for him for doing this because I believed that I needed someone to teach me how to eat. And not that he was teaching me how to eat. He just didn't let me eat. Right. Um, and because he wouldn't let me eat, I, I lost weight. And I was like, oh, my God, this is he's it. saving me. What yeah, would I do without me. him? And that's our internal, <laughs> all our internalized stuff. Like we, yeah. we direct it to ourselves. If that's what mm -hmm. we believe. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this made my disordered eating even more disordered because it was not sustainable, like not, you know, hardly eating anything was not sustainable. And so when he would let would go to work or whatever, I would, um, you know, go and buy some food, mm -hmm. or I would eat some food in the house. And then when he would come back, he would be like, what have you been up to? And um, for example, say if I had eaten a slice of bread, um, he would say, oh, I've counted the amount of bread slices in here and one is missing. So where is it? And I'd be like, oh, I dropped it on the floor and put it in the bin. And then he'd search the bin 
and there wouldn't be a slice of bread and I'd have to admit my sin. Oh my God. Eating. So, so much of the abuse was, was around food. Yeah. Like Whoa. really? Yeah. And he was just, uh, oh, he would, you know, do things like he would order a, a, a takeaway, a takeout for himself and he'd, he'd um, eat the thing and wouldn't let me have any. And then I'd just be there dreaming about food literally because I was so deprived of food and I thought it was a good thing. I right. thought that he was doing me such a favor. Um, yeah. So I was with him for two years and um, my self-esteem that I had went from, you know, like 2% to like a minus 200% oh, oh self-esteem. Um, and uh, luckily I eventually got away from him. I had to get a restraining order and all that sort of jazz. And and I continued on in my life and I turned things around for myself and I went to university. I got jobs and I got better relationships. I got good friendships, all that type of stuff. And that I could, I was always like, I've quote unquote fixed myself. I've worked through my trauma, but I mm-hmm. can't become thin. What yeah. is wrong with me? Why? can't I just become thin? I'm, I'm really good at my job. I'm such a good friend and partner and I've, I've overcome a difficult thing. Why can't I overcome this thing that's wrong with me, which is my body and, and my, and food. Mm-hmm. And so with therapy, I was like to my therapist, like, okay, so let's fix my brain so that I can lose weight. And, um, I would like went to hypnosis to try and stop myself from eating food. Um, and you know, obviously tried diets and would temporarily lose weight, you know, all the type of stuff. And it wasn't until I saw a a blog from Reagan Chastain dances Mm. with fat Mm -hmm. and her message was, it's okay to be fat. And I was like, what, what do you mean? It's okay to be fat. No one had ever told me this. And it just opened a Pandora's box and there was literally no looking back for me it was just straight ahead um i you know this secret land that i had never been exposed to before and i just became obsessed with it and and that's why i do what i do now which is teaching fat people to love their body and stop dieting because um i i you know if i just reach a few people with that message who were in a situation like me where they just think their body is so awful then I'll be really happy. So yeah. And you have, and you do, and it's amazing. So how long ago did you stumble across Reagan's writing? Oh my gosh. Maybe six, eight years ago. And you've been doing it. Yeah. And you've been doing it ever since. Yeah. I've had my business for five or six years now. Okay. Um, yeah. So I started coaching just, I was coaching, um, cause I was in uh, the recruitment world. I was coaching just like, um, business, uh, job stuff. And then I was just found this stuff and I was like, no, this is, this is my life's calling. Oh my God. Right. I mean, I feel like, I feel like I, mm, I feel like we go way back. Like, I feel like I, you know, maybe I'm trying to remember whether it was when I had just joined Instagram that that I found you. That was when you were Bampow Life, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like we've known each other for four or five years. Yeah, I think so. And I that I think that's as long as I've been on Instagram. I wasn't on Instagram the first couple of years that I was writing about the fuck it diet, but mm. um, 
yeah. So I feel like, I feel like I've known about you for a long time. Well, basically, yeah, we, we, we made each other, Caroline. That's it. <laughs> we discovered each other and that was it. Our careers took off. <laughs> oh my God. So, so what did that, like, were you able to like snap out of it or like, how was your healing process when it comes to your relationship to your body and then also your relationship to food? Cause they are so connected, but they are sort of like different tracks like that, that affect each other. I just want to hear more about what that was actually like for you. Yeah. It feels like for me, like, you know, do you know that movie, the Truman show? I never saw the Truman oh, show. It's so, it was, it's a good film. It's, it's, it's probably I've not heard, good, but. <laughs> I've heard, no, I've heard, I have heard really good things about it. I just but the it. idea is that um, it's, uh, there's a show where there's this guy that lives in this created reality. It's like a big dome and he doesn't know he's the star of this show right. and everyone in the thing is actors anyway. And so then one day he discovers and he leaves. And so that, what, that is what it felt like for me is that one day I discovered I was in this, reality that wasn't re wasn't real right. and one day I discovered the door to leave and I opened the door I never went back into the the dome which right. was not real but right. it was very hard because I was brand new in this new world and so um, I knew that the other place was not good um, but I was still kind of very unsteady on my feet so um, I I just really started just doing the work and um, I knew that I could feel good because I was quite, I was, you know, I'm quite a curious person. Like I like looking at the sci science and, mm -hmm. and data. And, um, and so I knew that it was okay to be fat. And I knew that if I wanted to be fat and healthy, I could do that. But then the internal thoughts of but should you eat that and the internal thoughts of but will anyone find you attractive when you're fat would still right, keep right, coming right. up and i'd right. be like shut up leave me alone <laughs> i know <laughs> um, and i i really felt like i should lean into those thoughts and beliefs because they were the clues that there were areas that I really needed to work on. And so whenever I did have um, those bad body thoughts, then I'd be like, aha, uh -huh, I wonder what's going on here. So for example, right. what, sorry, were you going to say something? No, I'm just saying, right. I'm so <laughs> yeah, with yeah, you. Yeah. No, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for example, um, uh, when I had, so I, ha I had a TED talk uh, a couple of years ago now mm -hmm. and two Two weeks before my TED talk, uh, I had been working towards this TED talk for eight, eight, nine, ten months. Um, mm -hmm. Worked really hard on it. Anyway, two weeks before, my dad suddenly died, wow. and so I was like, "Okay, well, I'm I'm not going to do my TED talk. Um, you know, I'm just I'm going to go to the UK for his funeral." And and um, anyway, it turned out his funeral was going to be um, shortly after my TED talk. So. I did my TED talk, highly, uh, you know, a big event in my life, right? And also my, my dad has just, just, just died, oh went gosh. to the UK, and then I got um, a stomach bug, was really sick, like mm -hmm. for days, couldn't get out of bed. And then 
when I came back to Vancouver, I noticed in the mirror that I had lost weight. And my very first thought, and this is after me doing this work for years, mm-hmm. my very first thought was, the boys are going to find you more attractive now. Mm. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. Think like that. Why am I, why, why am, why is my brain saying the oh. boys are going to find you more attractive? Like anyone's going to notice that like the tiny difference that I had noticed in my body. And it was cause I was so sick. I was so stressed. And oh, my know. dad had died. And, and so instead of in that moment saying, well, yeah, it was lucky that I was so sick because I lost some weight and maybe I should continue or maybe, you know, something that I've thought in the past or Mm -hmm. that was a good thing. I realized, wow, I've gone through a really, really difficult and stressful time and I was physically sick and all of this stuff has happened. And this is why my my brain went to you know, people are going to find you more attractive. And is that a thought that I want to um, support with, you know, behavior and and continuing to lose? Yeah. Yeah, And belief, or do I just want to be self-compassionate and say, oh man, you know, you've really gone through it. And, you know, why don't you have a little nice cup of tea and have a little nap and it's going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think this this is such a good example of, you know, I think people, when they go through a healing process like this, you know, any sort of recovery with food and body and body image, that there's this hope and expectation that we're never going to have any old bad thoughts again. Mm. And that well, they'll just never. And I think, you know, I think we can get to a place where that does not dominate our thoughts. It doesn't dominate our behavior, um, where we are, you know, largely freed from the way we used to think before. But I mean, even me, I find that it's like all those old beliefs and all those old scripts kind of that we followed in our heads, they can come up again. Um, They're almost like, you know, I feel like you heal so much of them, but they still sometimes are like little scars that you notice sometimes Mm. and they can come up again. But just like you said, it's all about how you respond to it how much you buy into that and how much awareness we have around why we do the things we do. Why do we have the coping mechanisms and um, stressful relationship to our bodies that we had? It was, it was meant to protect us back then. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. you were just trying to be loved and and accepted and, and, you know, take the mixed messages from your mom. And then also with that abusive boyfriend, it was all about safety. It was all about doing the best you could with the information you had, you know, Mm. but after healing, we have the opportunity to do something new with this new information that we have. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And the way that I see it is like, um, you're, you're trained, you're, you're equipped, like, you know, for example, if there was a big, you know, an accident, someone, I don't know, fell off a ladder or something, a lay person would be like, oh my God, this person's fallen off a ladder. Oh my God, what am I going to do? And they couldn't treat the person apart from calling the ambulance. Mm-hmm. Whereas if there was a doctor there, they'd be like, okay, let's immobilize them. Let's check for pulse or whatever. Clearly mm-hmm. I'm not a doctor, um, <laughs> but um, they would know what to do. And so it's not that you're never, you know, shit is never going to hit the fan. You're never going to, you know, uh, 
fall off a ladder and you know aka you're never going to have something something traumatic or difficult happen in your life but you are you are going to be more equipped to say okay well this shit things has happened and now i need to know that i need to check the pulse and all that type of stuff mm-hmm. and and you're going to be okay and you're going to yeah. survive and you can't you can't avoid shitty things happening in your life but you can um be uh, prepared and self-compassionate as much as you can be Yes. And I even think like, you know, before we, like you say, wake up and and learn that we're living in this false reality, like on the Truman show that I have not seen, but we'll see. Um, (laughs) We, we take everything that we think or that we think about food in our bodies as, as fact. And we, and we don't, we, it almost is just like, we don't even have the awareness to identify the way we're thinking and understand that it's learned and understand why it's happening. And then once we do understand, then we have this, you know, just like you said, this ability to, to help ourselves and to understand Mm. even why we're thinking the way we're thinking, which we did, we Mm. didn't have that understanding before. Isn't it interesting how we just blame ourselves for everything, right? Yes our body does this or we behave like this. And it's like, well, it's my fault. You know, <laughs> it's yes. like, there's other systems at work, but you know, when you're a child or a young adult, you, you, you don't know that or understand that as much as you, as you can as an adult. And even one of the systems is the blaming part that one of the systems is even just the fact that we learn that everything is within our control and that everything is our fault in some ways, you know, mm-hmm. that personal mm-hmm. responsibility lie in some ways of course of course you know i mean you pulled yourself out of a horrible situation and i did in my own way as well so yes personal responsibility but not not in the way that we're weaponizing it against ourselves especially when we're so young Um, yes 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 yeah and and as well like recognizing um all the different systems in place like uh you know fat phobia and um racism and sexism and transphobia and all the different systems that are um you know against different identities in the world and and um having to deal with those as well while also trying to control your your thought process and your brain and try to make yourself feel better and you've got um certain aspects of of the world saying no your body is wrong for whatever reason yeah so that's 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 really difficult as well. Yes, it's really difficult. And it's even more difficult when you don't even, can't even identify those, those forces. No, exactly. So I would love to talk about your experience on that BBC documentary. Yeah. So um, the BBC um, invited me to be on a show called Who Are You Calling Fat? Now, um, it was a documentary talking to fat people about their experience living in a fat body. And so what happened is that um, for 10 days, I lived in a house with other fat people, eight other fat people. And some of the fat people loved pe- being fat. Some of the fat people didn't like being fat and was actively trying to not be fat. And then there was a couple in the middle who were just like, I'm just, you know, here for the laughs or whatever. Mm. And, uh, didn't have an opinion. And so we, every day we would do different activities that um, someone, you know, one person in the house would choose. And so um, the people who were enjoyed being fat, we would have fun activities like 
um, going shopping and then doing a fabulous photo shoot or going singing karaoke and things like that. And then the, the people who didn't like being fat, our activities were things like having someone um, who is a specialist in diabetes come in and tell us that we're probably all going to get diabetes and die. Oh they didn't God. say that, but you know, but, but like right. stuff that was not fun. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> like stuff when you're like, okay, do I want to sit down and listen to someone talk about how um, I'm going to get di- diabetes for the next two hours? <laughs> not no, as fun. No. <laughs> um, and uh, obviously uh, damaging towards our physical and mental health because it's increasing fat stigma. Um, anyway, so my activity was to recreate um, a stand for self-love, which Amy Pence Brown famously did in, in Idaho. And she took it from another um, group of activists who did it in the streets of London. And what a stand for self-love is, is going to a busy place. So we went to Oxford and stripping down to your bikini, blindfold on, um, a, a board in front of you that says, I'm standing for those who struggle with their um, body esteem. If you think all bodies are good, draw a heart on my body and, and then held pens um, in my hand. And so oh, I invited. Right. Yeah. So you guys saw this is that. Like, yeah. And like Amy Pence Brown did it and she got millions of views um, from it. And so I invited the rest of the house if they wanted to, to join me. And a couple of people did, which was amazing. And it was so incredible. Um, living, I've been living in Canada for the last 10 years and Canada, um, Vancouver has been very kind of, they're very gentle with their fat phobia. Like they're mm. fat phobic for, for, you know, right. but they're not going to be like, Oi, fatty, you, you but know, they're Canadian, like, so they're nicer yeah, and they're more like, they're, <laughs> they're more like, oh, we're just worried about your health. Right, right, Whereas right. British people are, British culture is aggressively anti-fat. Mm. And, oh, it is, it is jarring seeing the media here. Anyway, and so I thought, oh my gosh, are we gonna get heckled? Are we gonna get? We were just to the side of a McDonald's, and I thought we're going to get like McDonald's milkshakes thrown at us or <laughs> something like that. Oh my God. Um, but I was really pleasantly surprised that I didn't get any McDonald's milkshakes thrown on me. I didn't hear any Jekyll heckles or anything like that. And um, we had, before we even started, the first person that came up to me and said, Hey, can I help you put your blindfold on was a nurse. And she was like, thank you so much for doing this. Um, <laughs> so, so much fat phobia in the health profession. And I was just like, oh my God. Oh my gosh, um, she got it right away. I mean, not yes. everybody even knows the term fat phobia, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was so cool. And we stood there for an hour and we had obviously lots of people come up to us. I couldn't see who they were, but at one point that a mother came and she said, Oh, I have my two children with me. They're very young. And I, and, and this is so important to show them that all bodies are good bodies and um, you know, people taking pictures with us and stuff and, and, and crying and hugging us. And, and at the end, when we took our blindfolds off, our bodies were covered in positive messages and hearts and mm. support it was really cool. Now, of course, the people who didn't think that what we were doing was good weren't going to come and 
draw on our right. bodies and say, and say fuck you or whatever. Um, but what we saw with the footage afterwards, um, and you can see the clip for this on my Instagram page or on my Facebook page. You don't see the bad bits. You only see the good bits because it's a feel good thing. But in right. the program, in the TV show, you see people saying, oh, this is amazing. I, you know, good for them. And also people, people being like, but what about their health? They're clearly right. not healthy. And yeah. what sort of standard is this setting? Um, but not to the extent that I'm used to seeing, you know, um, online or, but right. then again, they're on a national TV show. Where right. They're like, right, right, right. <laughs> Literally like, I, I think it was 2 million people that watched it. And so they're not going to be that much of a, of a dick. Right. Um, like the, yeah. like people hiding behind their keyboard would be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But still people were, were openly like, you know, their bodies are, are ugly or whatever um which is to be expected but mm. um so yeah i i, I spent the, the time in the house and it was it was so exhausting um it because we were constantly filmed but also exhausting and it was a it was an interesting experience for me that um being surrounded by people who so uh, hated their bodies Right. and thought fat people were unhealthy and should be ashamed of themselves just being in the presence of people like that who were campaigning against you know people being fat and happy was really draining and it really made me um, empathize even more with people who currently in their situations maybe in their in their family unit or their friends who are surrounded by people who don't get fat positivity who are right. still dieting and how difficult that must be for them when I like this is what I do right. and just for 10 days being surrounded by these people and of course it was very extreme because all we were talking about were fat bodies right um, but it still had a negative impact on my mental health so Ugh. um yeah interesting experience wow how many people how many other people were on that show with you the there house. was um eight other eight other people in the house okay wow mm -hmm. yeah wow I've made really like there's a two people in there who were fat positive really fat positive that i just absolutely you know really good friends with still now and um so pleased that i met them and yeah so there was good things to come out of it as well and you know meeting wonderful people too so that was that's cool. amazing so do you do you do you or do you not recommend people <laughs> watch it i mean is it what how do you feel about the uh, end product i don't know if you're allowed product. to say no <laughs> yeah no 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 yeah no the end product so it came out in november so like eight months ago or whatever mm -hmm. um if you are very um solid in your views about how it's okay to be fat then yes um but Oh, I tell you, like I personally wasn't pleased with the end product because mm. um, they made me to be the villain, which was, I was like, but I'm not the villain, but it made it more interesting. So sure. They, they always need a villain. Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> Wait, so how did they make you the villain? What was the, what was the angle? Just because they you. Would, they would, um, because I was the one who was the most, because uh, I do this for a job, like the other fat positive people were just, um, you know, in their own personal journey of, of learning to love their, their body and whatnot. And so I had the stats and the information. And so when someone was saying something like, oh, you know, fat people are all going to die by the age of 40 or whatever, mm. um, I would be like, 
that's not based in truth and because and so I had um a lot I had a lot of things to say so that was one thing and also some of the things I said to the lay person were you know was outrageous for example so health the concept of health is Mm -hmm. a social construct as is everything that we've constructed you know gender whatever and I believe that there's not one end destination for healthy. Like you can't say I'm 100% healthy and there's nothing's ever going to go wrong. Like it's, it's a really, is a shade of gray, right? Yeah. Always. Nothing is static like that. Nothing. Yeah. And so we're um, aging. Yeah. (laughs) And and so, um, so this is the conversation that I'm, they do, they're interviewing me. This is a conversation. I'm like, so health is a social construct. Um, and all of this stuff that I'm saying, but instead of taking all of that, they'll take a snippet, just me saying, I don't believe in health. Health is a social construct full stop. And so to the lay person, they're like, what? How can she not believe in health? Oh, so she so they're making you look healthy. like really out. Of, they're making you look way more out of touch, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, well, it's you know, they didn't technically misquote me, but they didn't give the background information. Right, right. It just makes it more juicy to watch, right? And so, so people can be like, oh my god, what is wrong with this person? Right. But you know, a lot. I, I did get a lot of wonderful feedback, and a lot of people saying, oh my god, you're so amazing, and all that type of stuff. But the people who were on the fence, who were not sure about what body positivity or fat positivity was, were probably pushed over into more of oh that seems a bit weird that's such a shame that is such a shame shame. yeah Yeah, but But that's not your fault that is fully their fault (laughs) you know and I and I felt really sad about it actually afterwards um when I got to see like the, the, the the they show the they do a screening beforehand and then you give your feedback and I was like eh, that's not really accurate and stuff and then and then they change things but then they before the final showing for the whole world to see they change things again and mm. made things worse and I was like oh and I was I was really disappointed and I really I felt like I had let down the fat positive community and really it was it was tough for me but you know now I'm like Sorry. what you say is it wasn't in my control. It, it really wasn't. And that is the, I mean, in my understanding, that is the danger of reality TV. And I love watching reality TV. Right, same. But same. all I do now, I mean, so much of what I do now is I want to understand the production process. I'll be like, I think that they cut that line. I don't think they said that. And you know, I don't know, what the ones that I watch, I feel like on Bravo, they always recut the audio in the yes. preview. So they are trying to, they are always trying to make it seem more dramatic. So you'll tune it, tune into the next episode. And then when you get there, you're like, oh my God, they cut that line with that image and that to make it look like it was going to be this big blowout and it's actually nothing. And so, I mean, that just goes to show they are, they are sculpting and crafting a story. Oh my gosh. And it's what makes it fun to watch, but it, it's not necessarily accurate. And oh my gosh, there's so many times that they did this. And the BBC is um, uh, respectable, right? You know, people. It's not like a really trashy. It's the BBC, right? Right, right. And so right, right. there was t- there was one scene where um, someone uh, stormed off from the table, and I was we were talking about um, size privilege, 
and um and then this person was like oh you know and um uh, also talking about um white privilege and she was like you know saying loads of racist shit and they didn't show the racist shit but they just showed her storming off right. and then you hear some audio of me saying no 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 and i was like what i didn't say that like i didn't you know she just walked yeah. off and whatever and they, they had sliced in that audio and also yes oh um, when the uh, when they had the diabetes um uh, ambassador person come in they just kept showing clips of me oh looking like I was rolling my eyes and stuff. And I was like, what? This is Oh my God. What is this? And I was like, can you go back and like show the actual footage? And then they did like um, go and put in the real footage, but only when I said, I wasn't reacting like that. <gasps> I um, know. They do that all the time. I mean, I really, it's so crazy to hear from you from you who were actually there saying they yeah. splice these even this tiny little things like tiny little b-roll things they'll use it seems and now you're telling me this is definitely true they seem to use to just make it all more dramatic to like add yeah. more tension into every scene yeah, wow. yeah, yeah and another thing that they did which i was like come on come on guys um is that they would um whenever there was a discussion they would go to um, images of me eating food which was quote-unquote seen as unhealthy and I'm oh like God. what the hell and then whenever they would be showing clips of other people the good fat people they'd oh be there God. eating a salad but we we would have all had the same meal of a salad and then a cake oh but wow. it was me eating cake and them eating salad and I'd be like come on guys this is fat phobic and they'll be like but you did eat cake and I, oh my <laughs> I gosh like, well, yeah I did but you know <laughs> wow that is a wild experience that yeah, really is really, to yeah, be yeah. to be on the other side of it yeah so yeah well TV star, what can you do I know <laughs> I think it's really cool honestly um even though it's obviously frustrating how they spun it eventually but this is but, the yeah, right you think, you no, you I'm go. Saying, I, I, I'm saying, I think I still a lot of people got good stuff out of it. Yeah, that's so, so great. I'm, yeah, so. And just think, just like you said, if even if just a couple people are like, hmm, fat positivity, health at every size, yeah. like that yeah. is little by little. That's how I feel. I feel like if I can just reach a couple people, that that is uh, even just to have the awareness even if people can't go through the whole healing process even if they're too daunted even to just mm. know that that there is another paradigm and to learn about it I, that's what we need because from my perspective there is most people have absolutely no idea mm -hmm. that there is yeah, that no. there is <laughs> that there is a whole other way that is way better and healthier for everyone yeah, exactly. And so just the con yeah, putting the concept out there and showing, and for me, showing a fat body that's not ashamed to be alive and be walking around in a bikini, I think that just that act alone could be revolutionary for someone. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I know it's true. Hmm. So before we wrap up, I just want to hear just for the people who are listening, who are still strong, who maybe are still at the beginning of their relationship to healing their, you know, their eating and their relationship to food and healing their relationship to their body. Um, oh God, Molly, sorry. <laughs> Let's Molly. try that again. Molly, it's just my, I'm actually at my parents' house right now. Um, 
and she's just hearing them walking around upstairs and she's very alarmed. Okay, let me get back into this. So what would you, mom, I'm recording. Okay, all right. I told you, I texted her, Victoria. I said, I'm gonna be recording. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, it's fine. I said, just go outside. It's, it's all good. I'm sorry, I'll just okay. put this up in like 30 seconds. My, my mom's got a really noisy dog. Um, and, uh, yeah, whenever I'm recording, I have to tell her and, um, yeah, the dog will be like, there's a fly at the window and the dog will be like, oh my God, like I know, I know. <laughs> Hold up. My dog went outside. So I'm just going to go get her one second. One, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll turn off the air. Mom. going to leave this all on. I'm not going to cut anything out. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So yeah. I want to just talk a little bit quickly about what the timeline was like for you healing your relationship to food and body. Did it happen at the same time? Did it happen, you know, one first and then the other? I just want to hear a little bit about that because I think it'll be helpful for people who are trying to do the same thing. Oh, I think, you know what, I think it were, they were, um, at the exact same time. Like mm, it was mm -hmm. a little progress with this and a little progress with that. And, and they, they came together really. Um, yeah, yeah. I can't think that they were separate because they're so intertwined, they're right? So you intertwined, know? so like intertwined. Yeah. Like you can't learn to be an intuitive eater if you are super fat phobic because it won't work you'll be afraid to eat yes, and afraid to exactly. put on weight and and so yeah i think it was really hand in hand for me that's yeah and that is the thing that i i want people to know and i want people to really really let soak in that if you're going to try to heal your relationship to food but you aren't going to address fat phobia and your relationship to your body it's going to it's not going to work until you address it and it's going to make it take so much longer yeah yeah because like if you we all have fat phobic beliefs like if mm -hmm. you live in a fat phobic society you hold mm -hmm. fat phobic beliefs mm -hmm. um and so you know people are not immune so if you are terrified of becoming fatter because of what society has told you fat means that you're going to be unlovable you're going to be unattractive you're going to be seen as lazy you're going to be unhealthy all of these lies mm -hmm. then and you have a decision of what are you going to eat and are you going to allow yourself to eat the foods that you need to eat to heal yourself then that's going to be a really difficult decision because you don't want to be seen as unlovable and and, right. and ugly and horrible and you'll just be like, oh, fuck it. I'll just not eat the food that I need to eat because I, it's scary. And then it's only when you realize that actually being fat or putting on weight, not even that eating food is going to make you put on weight, but, you know, that's the fear, right? But when you realize that being fat doesn't mean that you're never going to get a boyfriend and that right. everyone's going to laugh at you and all of the fears, the deep, dark fears that we have and that they're could be an alternative then you can say well it's easier for me to eat the food that i need to eat to heal myself right um but yeah, yeah really hard if you're holding on to that fat phobia yeah they are so incredibly connected so much so that when i you know start when i read the book intuitive eating long 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 ago before i ever actually healed my relationship with food 
I applied all of these fat phobic beliefs to what I was reading and it mm. was not healing. It was just, a, that's why I turned it into another diet. I was like, okay, so they're saying that, yeah, 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 there's body diversity, but because it wasn't focused enough on that piece of resistance and how easily it would be to twist intuitive eating into this sort of hunger fullness diet. That's what I did. I was like, well, if I was an intuitive eater, I would be thin because I didn't have mm -hmm. anyone challenging that belief saying, why do you believe that? Why is that something you're clinging to? Why do you think that's going to be helpful? And that's why it, it took, it took it all the way to fuck it. Like to the, my real, my true rock bottom was like, Oh, whoa, I see what I've been doing. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, they, they, you need them both. You need the food yeah. and the body work together. Yeah, absolutely. And it's no surprise that, uh, people look at intuitive eating and they turn it into a diet because our brains are so, uh, trained to be good dieters and we don't think that these beliefs that we have about fat bodies are beliefs we just think they're fact exactly but of course fat bodies exactly. are unhealthy right right ah yeah. right. uh, victoria this has been so wonderful thank you so much for sharing your story it's amazing well, it's really you're welcome will you tell everyone where they can find you yeah so um i am known as fierce fatty you can find me on the Instagrams, Fierce Fatty on Facebook. Um, you can follow my uh, podcast, which is called, guess what, Fierce Fatty. And <laughs> my book is called Fierce Fatty, my TEDx talk. You can find my website, which is fiercefatty.com. Amazing, so, I will link yeah. to all of those and yeah. Hello again, it's me saying hello on the other side. I am sitting here at a dining table in the dark talking into my phone. <laughs> this is what we've come to. Um, before I let you go, and I will let you go soon, I want to very quickly address our good friend, Jillian Michaels, and her hot take on intuitive eating. Now, I didn't even watch what she said. And I do not recommend that you do either. Because you know it's going to be infuriating and probably triggering, especially if you're not very far along in your process. You know that Jillian Michaels has made a career out of genuinely abusing fat people. And everything she does is so deeply embedded in diet culture that it would be a huge moment for her to completely reverse that and say I was wrong. That's not what she's doing here. She's basically saying intuitive eating is an excuse for people to not deal with their emotional problems, which is ridiculous. She didn't read the book. She has no idea. There's no part of her that is about to admit the harm that she's done and she can't even see it. I believe, I really believe that she means what she says, but I also really believe that she is extremely wrong and extremely harmful. Um, I didn't watch it though. I did go to the video on Instagram and read some of her comments, uh, responding to people. She, and that's where I learned that she believes that intuitive eating is a way for people to ignore their emotions and the psychological part of overeating, quote unquote, 
meanwhile, the psychological part of overeating is very much oftentimes at least a big chunk of it is in reaction to restriction and diet culture, something that she loves. Um, if you want to know what my take is on her or someone like her, oh my God, of course. Molly, oh my God. See, this is just like the story of my life. She barks at everything. She wants to say hi. Oh, it's my brother. My brother's come back from surfing. He's singing. Molly's excited. And it's going to be loud. Okay, she has an eating disorder or disordered eating. Okay, let's see. Maybe I should pause this. So the very, okay, I'm back. My brother and Molly are outside doing little dances together. Um, the, the thing, the funny thing, and I did not watch it, but I read what a lot of my peers on Instagram and non-diet dietitians, anti-diet dietitians, health at every size practitioners, they're furious, but they're also like, why would you ever expect anything else from her? It's not like she's going to admit that she's been causing extreme harm her whole life. It's very unlikely that she would do that. It'd be nice, but it's, it's really not going to happen, especially after this. Um, she said, apparently, that diet culture has never really affected her, which is funny. It's funny because that's the kind of lack of awareness that she has around all of this. And so we ignore Jillian Michaels. That's what we do. I got a lot of people wanting me to do a big podcast response and rant. And I responded. I, I totally understand why people want that. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. I just don't really want to because... I don't want to go watching, like a lot of people want me to like respond to this, respond to that. I just kind of cocoon myself at this point. I don't really want to have to consume all the diet culture fat phobic things if I don't have to. And I'm not a good debater. I'm just not, it's just not my thing. I don't find that interesting or fun. Uh, but what I will tell you is that I do think it's pretty funny that she thinks that diet culture hasn't affected her. Hee hee hee. Okay, um, I will be back. Well, will I be back? That's a great question. I'm actually going to be, oh my God, Molly, you stole that flip-flop from upstairs. <sighs> um, I might be going on hiatus for a couple weeks, but I also might not. So <laughs> we, just, <laughs> we all just have to accept the unknown, uh, both with this podcast and also with everything. I will talk to you soon, though. I promise. I promise. I promise. The reason is because my sister's coming back from California. We're going on a tiny road trip, blah, blah, blah. Will I be around in two weeks? I don't know. Will I get my act together to prepare the episode beforehand? Maybe that's what I should do. But I also don't get paid to do this, believe it or not. So it just makes me tired. Okay. All right. I tried to get podcast sponsors, but then they all dried up in the quarantine. Okay. Goodbye. I appreciate you and I'm sorry that things are so haphazard, but that's just the way that it is. Goodbye.